Kia ora everyone and welcome along to Seeds Podcast. I recently was involved in a presentation about community housing and in particular thinking about the legal aspects of what's involved to set up a project. The conversation was really interesting so I thought I'd share it here. In it you'll get to hear from Judith Bowen who's an expert at Perryfield Lawyers with me in this topic and also Sarah Jane who was able to offer a perspective from the Takaka co-housing project on what they're doing at a community and grassroots level. If you've ever wanted to know about community housing and ways to structure things to set them up, then this will be the episode for you. There's also a video of this, and there's lots more information on community housing at the link that will be in the show note description. Well, tēnā koto katoa. No America ho no te tematanga, no otatahi toku kainga inaine, e roya toku tunga mahi o Perryfield lawyers, ko Stephen Motoko ingwa, no reda namihi kia koto katoa. Hey, it's great to welcome everybody who's joining on live in person um, this call, uh, this Zoom call. And for those of you who are watching afterwards as well, it's really great to have you joining um, virtually. Technology allows us to gather and to be able to share information. And what we would love to do today is to answer some of the common questions that we get when it comes to community housing. Um, There's a massive need in our country. We need more housing. We need more to be available. And so we like to play one small part in that, which is answering legal questions that people have when it comes to things like what legal structure should I use? And what's the difference between this other legal structure? And what contracts do I need to have in place? And um, how do I actually go about finding the property and doing some due diligence? So what we're going to do, we've had a really good response. We've had lots of questions that have come in. So we're going to be going through those. Um, It's going to be kind of a back and forth. Judith is on the call with me. So she's a fellow partner at Perry Field. I'll get you to introduce yourself in a minute, Judith. Um, But what we're going to do is have a bit of back and forth, a dialogue and a conversation. But we would love to hear from you as well. So as we're going through, you've proven that you know how to use the chat function because many of you have said where you are and what the weather's like. Um, And we would love to have more questions as we're going. So as we're talking, something might spark. Oh, what about this or that? Feel free to put it in the chat. And before we finish up, we will make sure that we go through all of the chat questions and we make sure that we answer everything. Um, I can guarantee some question is going to be quite specific and we're going to have to maybe come back to that person, but we will find an answer. That's that's the thing with the law. There is always an answer. Um, so maybe just before we get underway, I'm just going to actually have a little karakia to, to open this up as well. So, tutua mai ruka, tutua mai raro, tutua mai roto, tutua mai waho. Kitao ai te mauritu, te mauriora kite katoa, huie taikie. So yeah, thanks everybody for joining. We're going to get into these um, questions and topics. I also want to say that we're really lucky um, because we have Sarah Jane joining us from the Takaka Co-housing Project, which is an amazing initiative um, up in Takaka, surprisingly. And she's going to be sharing a little bit of their experience. Um, We just thought it would be great to hear on the ground what's it like when you're setting up a project and what are some of the things 
not from a lawyer perspective or a government perspective or a council perspective, but actually the community perspective. Like, what are some of the things that need to be thought about? So we're going to have some discussion and then we're going to have a break so that Sarah can give some of their story and then we'll go through some more questions. Um, but to start with, um, my name is Stephen Mo. I'm a partner at Perryfield Lawyers and I do a lot with purpose-driven structures and legal entities, helping them get their legal structures right. And at the end, we'll tell you about some of the resources that we have available. Um, and I'm joined with by Judith. So Judith, do you want to explain a little bit of your context and introduce yourself, and then we'll get into some questions? Yeah, sure. So kia ora koutou, everybody. Uh, my name is Judith Bullen, and as Stephen says, I'm also a partner here at Parryfield Lawyers. Um, I'm one of the property and commercial partners, but take a real um, interest in the community housing space. Um, as Stephen mentioned at the start, there's just such a great need um, within our country um, for housing. Uh, and what's so great about this space is just the real energy and enthusiasm uh, that people within the community housing space have uh, for trying to meet that need uh, and, and solve this. Um, it's always really exciting um, talking with um, different people um, with their ideas and dreams of, of how they could be involved and how they might be able to um, meet this need uh, and then working with them to try and, and make it um, actually happen. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's a really great space to be involved in. Um, and we love um, putting on um, webinars like this just to try and help um, provide some education and point people in the right direction because, yeah, the need's great. There's so many... Um, enthusiastic people and it's just trying to guide people into the into the right direction so that this um this need can be met mm. yeah definitely and um we're we're kind of judith and i are dialing in from different offices so just briefly on our law firm um we have four different offices we have 80 people and we have a real focus um as part of that on the property area so we do lots in subdivisions and buying and selling land um, but we also do a lot in the structuring side and getting legal structures right. So, Judith, let's start there. <laughs> um, mm. When looking at legal structures, maybe could you give us an overview of some of the things that people might want to think about? Because a lot of yeah. people have the heart or the desire to do something, but then it's like, oh, wait a minute, what type of entity should I set up? Um, do you want to give yeah. us some, maybe just some thoughts on that? And then I can chip in. Yeah. As yeah. That sounds good. So there are lots of different types of entities um, that you could use. Um, and shortly I'll talk about a few that we most commonly see. Um, but some things that we will ask you when you come in to see us and say, I'm wanting to provide some community housing um, in my location. These are the types of people um, that I think we will be able to help. Some of the things we'll be asking you about, uh, how will you be funding this? Um, you know, have you already raised a whole lot of funding um, or do you need to go to banks? Do you need to go um, and try and get registered um, with the Community Housing Regulatory Authority so that you can then get uh, MHUD uh, funding? All those sorts of things, um, because that sort of all factors in to what sort of structure is appropriate for you. We'll also ask you about who's going to be involved. It might just be you. Um, it might just be one person with this great idea. And then we might work with you to think, okay, well, who else could you bring on board to try and help you um, with this project? 
um, you might already have um, a group of people set up and it's thinking through, should I be uh, a charitable trust? Should I be a company? Um, should I be a limited partner? You might um, have already done some projects and you've got your entities already set up and then it might be joining with another entity, um, for example, uh, and you're sort of joining forces. So what's the appropriate structure there? Um, you might have someone that wants to invest in your idea. Um, you don't have the funds, but you've got the expertise. Um, so there's all those sorts of things um, that we would sort of work through with you to figure out what's the, what's the most appropriate structure. So a couple of structures that um, we often see, um, one would be a company, and that's quite well known. A company would have um, directors uh, and shareholders. It could be a charitable company, um, and the um, benefits there are um, some taxation um, benefits, um, as well as perhaps within the community. Um, if you're seen as charitable, uh, that can also help with um, funding and things like that. Um, trusts, which um, Stephen will talk about shortly, um, that is a really common structure as well. Um, charitable trusts, you'll have your trustees and you will be uh, a separate legal entity registered um, as a charity with specific charitable purposes, which Stephen will go into shortly. And then another one is just limited partnerships. So these are becoming more and more common. And I understand um, from Chris from Community Housing Aotearoa that this is a really common structure um, back in America. Um, and how this works is you will have uh, limited partners, or it could be one or, or more, uh, and a general partner. And they join together to become what's called a limited partnership. Um, the limited partner is really um, the investor, so to speak. Um, they provide the funding, uh, usually, and then the general partner is the entity or the person who is um, in, in charge of the day-to-day -day management of, of the company, uh, sorry, of the um, the project. We often see this where you've got um, two entities sort of coming together or two different parties um, and someone's got the funds, someone um, can invest in it, but they don't have the skills to actually carry out the, the build project, for example, um, and, and get this thing up and running. And so they sort of join forces, um, but that limited partner provides the funds and has has a little bit of um, uh, benefit there because their risk is only limited to what they've um, put in. So those are just some structures that we see, um, a bit of an idea of things that we, we need to know about to be able to advise you on, on your structure. Mm. Yeah, and one of the things that hopefully um, you're picking up is that it's not like you can just say, here's a template and that's what you need to do every situation in our experience is going to be unique. And I thought, Judith, you did a good job of mentioning like, who's the investor going to be, or who are you going to partner with? Or what about the local council or a government? Or how is it going yeah. to play out? Because all of those factors then feed into, well, in your situation, you should be a fill in the blank. <laughs> it's, it's very difficult for us to say, well, you should always be this or that. Um, one of the things to, to mention there as well, um, just when we're thinking about legal structures, I think it's good to step back from the detail. Like the detail is that we want to build houses, right? We want to provide housing for people, but also it's important to step back and say, are we setting up an entity, which will be like the head entity that then is an umbrella for the work that we do? Or are we setting up an entity, which is project specific, so for this particular development, 
we need to do this particular thing. And so that's important for all of you to be thinking about is, is we're setting something up new. Should it be, um, for example, a trust that then owns a company and then the company is the one that does the development? Or should it be um, another entity like a limited partnership, which is then focused on a specific project? In my experience, there are benefits in this sector to potentially going down a charitable route, um, which I'll get into in a, in a minute or two. Um, but I think there, it's just it's going to be specific to your situation as well. Um, before I say anything else, we'd love to have your questions in the comments. Um, so I realize you have to remember that this is being pitched to a wide variety of people. <laughs> so some of you uh, have already got your projects, you've already got your structures, and you might have a specific question that you'd like us to answer. So feel free to put that in the chat. But we need to give this background information because some of you are just at the beginning of the road and you're wondering, well, what should we do or what are our options? Um, yeah. So the, the other thing is once you've chosen, if you did choose a limited partnership or a company or a trust, um, again, it's the documents that you'll need will need to be very customized and very specific to your situation. So for example, if you're lucky enough to have an investor, maybe there's someone in the community who says, I just sold my business for $10 million and I've got a couple million spare. I want to invest in this project, um, what percentage are they going to get? You know, what rights will they get for that percentage? How will the how will you be treated? Will they be directors? Will they be involved in governance? So there's going to be questions that we would be asking you as a lawyer. Um, so yeah, we I should say as well we have some guidance. We've done a community housing guide. Um, and I'll be sending that out with the video of this call. So um, that goes to more detail on these different structures. Um, and we've also done some other guides for startups. So it's specifically for startups, not community housing startups, but all the principles apply equally to any startup. So I'll, I'll, I think I'll send that out as well, just so you have access to that. It's all free downloads. We're trying to resource the sector. So um, that's what that's about. So, um, Judith, maybe before I get into the charitable trust and charity side of things, could you just go into the the chip side of things, like community housing providers? What what do people need to know about that, and what's involved? Yeah, sure. So a lot of people um, have heard um, about this concept of a chip, um, a community housing provider, and they come to us and they say, oh, do I need to be one of those? What what should I be doing? So a community housing provider um, is registered with the Community Housing Regulatory Authority. Um, and basically, that means then that with MHUD, um, you can be eligible perhaps for some more funding. Um, you can also be eligible for what's called an income-related rent subsidy. So you might have um, tenants coming into your properties, uh, and they will pay a percentage of their income as rent, and then MHUD would top that up with that subsidy. So it's a way of helping um, people who are on a really low income uh, to be able to get into housing in a way that um, your entity can, can afford, essentially. So to become a community housing provider, there are a few steps. Um, and 
what I'll do is um, shortly I'll put in the chat just a link that the website um, that Community Housing Regulatory Authority have is really helpful, sort of guides you through uh, everything there. Um, but what they do is um, you need to meet the eligibility criteria. And that's essentially, um, you've got an entity set up uh, with the purpose of providing housing uh, for the community, and that's affordable rental housing. So it's not, not an ownership um, scheme, it's a rental one. What you then need to do is prove that you can meet their performance standards. Uh, and their performance standards are set out into five components. Um, they've got governance, management, financial viability, tenancy management, and property and asset management. So one of the um, big things that we sort of are involved in would be helping you with your governance aspect of that performance standard. So you might come to us and say, okay, this is our goal. We want to be a community housing provider. We want to be registered. This is um, the type of product that we want to be supplying at the end and, and the funding that we want to be able to access. We will then talk you through um, your legal structure and try and get that um, in the in the right way for you. But one thing we will be talking about is governance. Who have you got on your governing board of your uh, company or your charitable trust or who's involved in your limited partnership? What um, they'll be looking for is to make sure that there are the correct skills there um, and that you're not all, um, you know, Perhaps you've been in some completely different sector with no relevant skills, and then you've said, okay, now I'm going to go and become a registered chip. Uh, they'll want to see people with uh, some experience, um, whether it's directly related to community housing or not, that, that would be a question. It, it might not have to be, but you might want someone with legal experience. You might want some accounting experience on there, um, some other governance experience, for example. So that's just um, something to think about as well when, you're, when you've come up with your great idea. Okay, who around me or who could I get connected to that might be able to be involved uh, and help me with the governance of this um, to show that it's run really well? So once you're um, confident that you can meet their eligibility criteria and um, prove that you can meet those performance standards, you can then have a pre-meeting, uh, a pre-application meeting with them to, to run through it. Uh, and then you can uh, put your application in uh, to try and become uh, registered. Uh, once you're registered, then um, the authority let MHUD know and then you can start um, your process there. The process of actually um, becoming registered uh, is it can be relatively quick, but there's a lot of work that needs to go into your application. So um, the authorities say from receiving your application, they try and make a decision within 60 working days, which isn't too long. Um, but uh, from experience, there is a lot of work that needs to go into the documentation um, to put, put your application forward. Um, one thing that we love about this space is just um, how willing other entities are to um, work with others and, and share information and resources and things like that because everyone just wants the need met. Um, so we are often pleasantly surprised that there are other entities that have put in hours into the applications that will say, yeah, of course, we would love someone else to be able to look at what we've done um, to help guide them on what, on what they could do. So that's what a chip is, um, how you could go about doing it. Um, not everyone needs to be a chip or wants to be a chip. There are many different ways you can provide housing um, for the community, uh, and this is just one aspect uh, of it. 
That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, we just want to highlight all the different angles that we can, and hopefully this will inform you so that when you're coming to make decisions, you can make informed decisions, which is what good governance is always about. Um, so we're going to take a small break from talking about legal structures and things. Oh, good. Someone's put something in the chat. Thank you. We will come back to that in a minute. Um, but we're really fortunate to have Sarah Jane on the call with us from the Takaka Co-Housing Project. And I'm excited about this because um, I actually got to see this project right from the very, very beginning. So I've been watching it and supporting it and growing um, some of the founders or people that I've known for years now. Um, but Sarah, what we would love to hear from you, because it's so important to know about the grassroots pro projects and about what's going on out there in the community, not just talking from a legal perspective or a financing perspective, but actually hearing a bit of a on the ground story. So we would love to just, the floor is yours. If you could share with us a bit about the journey of what has been going on, what you're doing, and then I might come in and ask you some questions as well. Um, and then maybe give some perspectives from a legal side about how it was that we set this up. Um, but really over to you, we're looking forward to hearing from you. Oh, thanks, Devin, kia ora koutou. So yeah, thank you for having me. Um, I will share my screen and and show you some some pictures. Uh, if if maybe the host could let me let me do a screen share, that'd be great. Um, but yeah, so we started our housing development um, about three years ago. Um, we purchased the land just before COVID really started to kind of wreak havoc with things, and um, we just raised, raised the investment from the land out of people who were interested in potentially living in the community. And so we just started with a, with a company and took loans from individuals to help us fund the project and buy the land. And then once we had bought the land, we set about becoming housing developers and not really knowing much about that at all. Um, we decided pretty early on that we were going to be not-for-profit and that we didn't need to um, yeah, include include profit margins for ourselves um, in, in what we were trying to do because it wasn't really the ethos. And so we uh, went to a charitable trust model. So we have been um, a charitable trust called Te Hapurihora um, for... I think two years now, um, and that owns the the development company that works underneath it, which is Mahua Ventures. So, um, oh, thank you. I'll share my screen and show you some. Bits. Maybe I just need to know. So we have 34 homes that we have been um, building and that is in the first neighborhood. So this is the section of land that we bought and what we were really fortunate to have the foresight to do, which was almost accidental, but <laughs> it was really great, was to buy much more land than what we needed to build on. And so that has allowed us to not only do the housing part of it, but do the regenerative land aspect of it as well and so that's one of the purposes of the trust is not just to provide affordable housing but to provide uh land regeneration as well and also um food growing so we intend to have some food growing areas on the land too so these are the 34 homes that we're currently building so they're in a unit title model um so we've got a body corporate that has started up and i live in this one here now and so we have been building them as we went and 
uh, or releasing them to be lived in as, as we build them. And then we're just on this final cluster here. So by the end of December, we will have uh, 34 homes occupied uh, by residents. And then we are also building the common house, which is a yeah, communal space to come together and enjoy each other's company. And so, yeah, Te Hapri Hora is, is one of the, uh, is, is the trust. And so the trust kind of works off this uh, tripartite governance structure. So we have two residents from each neighborhood that we're going to build um, that will be on the trust. And then we also have two representatives from the local bioregion or the local community, and then representatives from Mana Whenua as well. So we're trying to maintain that um, governance structure the whole way through. Uh, we're sort of, yeah, really valuing the collaboration with the community and not just being a kind of entity off to ourselves on the side and really wanting to involve ourselves in the wider Kakaka Mohoa community. And so some of our impact that we're that we're hoping to achieve is um, obviously the social um, co-housing. Co-housing and community housing are sort of similar but different in, in a lot of ways. So co-housing is, I guess, one sector or one aspect of, of community housing. And so what co-housing means is that we've got our own individual homes and we've got kitchens and bathrooms and everything that we need in our individual homes, but we also have common facilities that we share and that we that we care for, common land and things like that as well. So we've decided to kind of do it in a cluster model. So we have different clusters of houses and we all work on little gardens together within those clusters. And then the whole community shares the common house and the common laundry. Um, yeah, food production is something that we're quite big on. And yeah, really providing housing that is at cost. So we haven't we haven't put a profit margin on those houses um, and that they're also beautiful and high performing homes. So we didn't want to build homes that were going to kind of decrease um, in value over time or that weren't going to be enjoyable to live in. And so we've and we've prioritized sustainability as well in the builds of those homes and in our common house, particularly. Um, so this is, uh, this was maybe a month or two ago, so it's, it's come a little way since then, but this is kind of where we're at in terms of building our first neighborhood. Um, and so as you can see, all the cars stay in the car park outside the neighborhood. So these are actually um, car-free zones, although there are access roads that you can get into to drop off heavy things. And you can see people sort of moving in there. But that's really great for the kids. It's really good for, you know, being able to have community together when you are just essentially living in a cul-de-sac but with no cars. And so we've really enjoyed that aspect of having our kids be able to run around and play. Uh, and this is the common house here, which is sort of in the in the center. And these are what our houses look like. Yeah, this is a double-story two-bedroom home. So we have double-story uh, three-bedroom homes and we have single-story two-bedroom homes as well. And they're all duplex units. So we wanted to make the most of the space and the cost to build um, by having duplex units, but they're incredibly soundproofed and really enjoyable to live in. We probably see more from our neighbours across the way than we do from our, the, the ones we share a duplex with. So. Yeah, that's been great. And we've got one one row of four units as well. Um, this is kind of what the inside of one of the homes looks like. So yeah, they're a really, really nice new home to live in. Um, so yeah, this is kind of where we're at with um, neighborhood one is that we've got 
almost 34 homes built and finished and a storage shed and then the common house coming in March next year. So the common house has been a natural timber frame and hempcrete build. So it's quite different to how the houses have been built. And we've partnered with um, Elemental Design and Build on the common house. And we have worked with signature homes on the building of the other homes, which have been really great to work with. Um, so yeah, this is more about our common house. And so what we're hoping to do next is to build some more neighbourhoods and also build some commercial area on the corner of our land. Um, so there is a bit of a lack of commercial space in Takaka. And so we are hoping that, yeah, we're going to be able to uh, build some, some commercial space and some more residential space and then also have some, some sections of land that will be coming up for sale as well. So yeah, we've we're still looking for people to to help us out and and join us and some of the ways that we can do that. I do actually have one home coming up for sale in neighborhood one, so that's like a very rare opportunity happening, and that home's going to be built finished being built in December. So you can get in touch with me about that. I'll pop my email in the in the chat, and um, obviously Perifield have have all our contact details and we're still looking for investors so we're looking for investors for the next phases of the project now as well and we've taken investment from all over the country all over the world really um, and from all different people it just from people that want to see a good thing happen and want to support it for a period of time and earn some interest on that down to you know people who uh, are putting their life savings forward because they're now living in their homes and you know they just really wanted to live there so uh yeah it's been a real mixed bag and uh yeah i guess i guess that's that's kind of a, a short spiel maybe you want to ask me some questions yeah no that's great thank you yeah and you, you in the chat you can put the um put the email um so people can contact you i mean the thing about this this is why we were really grateful to have you come and share is that Judith and I can talk about the, um, you know, the different legal structures and things, but when you actually see what you're building there, it's not just houses, is it? It's homes, it's community. And I really love that there's this ethos, like just simple things, like you don't park right in front. Because how often do you think, you know, in my house, for example, I drive home, I drive in, I park in the garage, I don't see my neighbors at all. You know what I mean? And and there's fences up everywhere you look in a normal suburb. So what you're doing is kind of breaking the paradigm of thinking about community and what housing can be. So I just really, that's not really a question. It's a comment. <laughs> um, is Are you in that one of them right now? Like behind you is this? Yeah. Yep. Uh, oh, right now. So actually right now I'm in the office, which is, um, it is the space that we have in town, which we yeah. kind of needed a separate space that was away from home because it's, it's enough living there and being on site as well and working on the project. Um, yeah. 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 But I do live in one of the units. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, and you mentioned that communal areas, like I'm just curious about that. So there's going to be community gardens community uh, a common house where you can come together um parks native forest it's it's a lot of different things are there yeah. there's that... lots of different elements and they're all kind of governed i guess in different ways so i guess like the the three key things that that the first neighborhood and probably the second neighborhood that we're going to build have is they all they have a communal storage shed and a, and a workshop space 
Um, so people don't need those in their homes. They have a common house and that common house includes a commercial kitchen. It includes a big dining hall. It has a spare bedroom. It has a mezzanine with a library. So it has a lot of, um, again, spaces that people don't need to then have in their homes. Um, we have shared gardens and those are kind of set out in um, different different ways. And we also have our own private gardens. And then that's sort of all owned within the body corporate structure and within the unit title um, model. And then Te Hapurihora, the trust, the charitable trust, owns a wider section of land, which their goal is to have native forest, regenerative forest, um, some food growing area, whether that be for commercial or for, or for community use, and to have some open park space. So that will actually be available to the rest of the Takaka township to come and you know walk walk through and around it kind of um becomes then public access space but that is owned and managed by the trust mm. yeah that's awesome well thank you so much for sharing that's really great and yeah definitely in the comments put your links and information i put in a link to the article that i did for spinoff about this project which was looking at community housing and and hopefully for some of you listening in take some ideas right let's learn from each other and also, this might be a project, I know some of you are in government, some of you are listening in from various places, like, here's an example of something that's quite innovative, quite different. And maybe there's some principles that could apply elsewhere, because, you know, it's not just, the point is, it's not just about the house, it's about the community that you're building. Um, so I really love that. Thank you, Sarah, for, for joining. We really appreciate um, that you take the time to share with us. Um, so just on that, I'm going to use that as a jumping off point um, because Sarah mentioned something, which is that they chose to set up as a charity. Um, so I'm going to briefly talk about that. And we are going to get to questions that are coming in the chat. So keep those coming. And then Judith, I'm going to turn to you after I talk about charity. When we're talking about we've identified some land, what do we do from a property perspective? Because you're a real expert in buying property. Um, from a charity side, for better or worse, it's hard to set up a charity that is about housing. Um, there, I, I personally think the whole area needs reform, and I would love to see it be easier to set up charities that are about provision of housing because there's such a massive need. Um, but there's a case that sticks in the mind called um, the Queenstown Lakes decision. And in that decision, uh, it was basically held that what was going on, they decided was helping kind of middle-class people into housing rather than people who were poor. Of course, the definition of who's poor in Queenstown is probably different to um, any other part of the country. Um, but for better or worse, it means that there is, from my perspective, a little bit of a bias against community housing providers. And so if you do want to set up as a charity, you actually have to show who is the group that you're going to be helping. How are you going to admit them into your program? Who, who qualifies essentially? And what is the need in the area that you want to be um, helping and supporting? Um, so something that Sarah mentioned before is that in that structure, when we were designing it for Takaka, um, it, it's a charitable trust and then that owns a charitable company and the company is the one that's doing the development work and the company exists to make money for its shareholder. So that's the linking. And then the, the 
charitable trust at the top. This is all public, by the way. You can look up the charitable trust deed. You can see the way it's structured. Um, the charitable trust is um, focusing in on regeneration of the land and the environment and education. So I think so that just down the road, there's a primary school, isn't there? So the, the idea will be that children can come and they can experience a regenerating forest. And so education is a big part. Um, regeneration of the land is a big part. Um, the, the hat that that trust is hanging its on is not social housing. It's actually about the environment and education. So just to be clear on that, uh, it might interest you. If you're interested in more about charities and setting them up, um, we've helped about 50 charities set up just in the last year. Um, that's not just housing ones. It's like preschools, you know, just helped a group that want to um, look at space travel um, and helped another group recently on underwater and um, fish and conservation, real variety, name a topic. And I've probably helped set up a charity that's doing something in that area. So we have a lot of experience and we actually have a guide for charities and how to set them up, um, which we're happy. Again, it's a free resource. So happy to share that. So um, keep your questions coming in the chat. We're going to turn to them soon. But um, Judith, I'm I'm really lucky. I've found a piece of property. I'm just going to buy it. it. Is there any steps that you would say that I need to take? Like what what's involved once you've identified the perfect piece of land? Yeah, sure. So um, it's always exciting when people have their ideas and then they find this piece of land that they think um, is the right location. So what we would um, suggest is getting advice early. Um, that's from both uh, your legal advisors, um, but also you might need to involve um, surveyors, um, geotechnical engineers, etc. So I'll talk about that shortly. But getting advice early uh, is the best thing. Um, and what we one big thing that we as lawyers need to look at is the title for the property. So there can be lots of impediments um, on land as to how you can use it. So you might find this really um, big block of land and you think, great, this is going to fit the 10 houses that I want to build um, to provide a need. But actually, when we come to look at it, there's an easement right through the middle of that land, which means you can't build over there. Or maybe there are covenants on the um, land that says you can only build single story, um, you can only um, use these types of materials, and that's completely against what your plan is. Um, there could be council zoning rules, which mean what you want to do um, can't actually be done. Um, it could be that you're going to, going to need to get a resource consent, and when we talk to planners, they might say, actually, you're not going to be able to get this resource consent through um, very easily for this piece of land. Sometimes um, the land, um, we have this a lot here in Canterbury um, with the earthquakes, it might not be um, suitable um, for development or um, once you've involved a geotechnical engineer to look at the land, though they might say, well, yes, you could, but the actual development costs are going to be exorbitant. So there are lots of different things um, that we would um, sort of guide you to. Um, then it sort of depends also on what's your actual plan. Are you just um, building some individual units and you need to get individual titles for all of those, so do a subdivision? 
or are you going to be having um, these homes on one big piece of land? Um, so there's many aspects aspects like that. And what we would be uh, doing is encouraging you to talk to a surveyor uh, as well, just to check that what you are intending to do, um, we can do. So if you find a piece of land, super exciting, um, but talk to your lawyer first um, and get, before you sign any contracts, get them to, to check it. Uh, and one thing we would be checking would be, um, have you got a what we would call a due diligence clause, um, which allows you to check all these things and make sure that before you confirm and go ahead to buy this land, it, it's going to be the right one for your project because you don't want to have some land that you can't use or you have to completely change your vision uh, so that it is usable. So, um, yeah, we, we often see people really excited and it's just calmly um, making wise decisions um, to make sure uh, that piece of land is the right one for you. Sorry there, uh, technical issue with my mouse. <laughs> um, that's great, thank you. And I think it it just emphasizes that importance of really being um, really being methodical about what you're doing, not just making a hasty decision, actually doing some due diligence, making sure that this is going to work. Because it would be the worst case scenario, right? You buy a piece of land and then you find you can't even use it for what you thought you mm -hmm. could use it for. Um, and, yeah. and in some ways, this comes back to the working with others. Like one of the things I'm noticing is that there's a lot of land out there which is not used well. So could you approach an owner and say, look, I see that giant car park <laughs> that you've got there. Like, could we collaborate? Could we work together? You never know. It's, it's worth a conversation. Um, mm. Judith, just before we turn to the chat, and there's some good good comments and questions coming through here, and I like that question about um, are there any older people at Takaka Co-housing and the fact that, yes, there are. And what a cool thing where there would be old people, young people all in the same place. Um, but Judith, I'm just thinking about financing. Like it, Ultimately, mm. we come back to the money question. How are we going to get money for this? So um, mm -hmm. I'll kick it off with a question for you, just some thinking, and then I can chime in as well. Some positives, negatives, thinking about investors versus a bank, you know, like what are some yeah, things sure. people should think about? Yeah. So um, banks is obviously the traditional way of financing projects, but often in this space, it can be really hard um, to get banks on board, um, particularly if you are a new entity, um, particularly if there is um, quite a bit of risk with your project, uh, it, it, it can be tricky. So a lot of people then say, okay, I can't get the traditional bank funding for this, so I'm going to um, look at other sources. And depending what type of project you're doing depends on what sources might be available. So you might be um, a chip like we talked about before and able to uh, to get the funding that way. Or perhaps um, you're going to need to find investors. You might have been um, approached by another entity as we talked about before to partner with them. Um, someone's got the money, someone's got the skills, maybe that's how you will um, finance your project. Um, if you are going to be having investors involved. One of the things um, to be aware of is just uh, real clarity, as I think Stephen mentioned before, just how will the investor be involved? Are they a silent investor and they simply put up the funds and, and see how the project goes? Or are they quite involved? Are they expecting to be part of the decision making? Um, what reporting back are they uh, expecting and things like that? Another big thing to be aware of uh, is just 
if you are getting funding from a bank or maybe you're getting it um, through investors, um, what security are these people or entities going to want uh, in turn for giving you the funds? Um, sometimes you will own a large block of land and there's simply a mortgage on there and that's fine. Um, that might be totally acceptable. But sometimes it goes further and it goes to um, people having to give guarantees. And, and that's that's where risk starts coming in for individuals. Um, and where we as legal advisors start to get nervous for you, um, just really understanding what, what is it that you're needing to provide so that people will um, be comfortable to give the funds. Um, and I guess it all starts from the start. Um, obviously, you're needing your funding, your finance to get your project uh, up and going. But that all starts from... Um, those initial conversations that we mentioned about getting your structures right, getting the right people involved so that investors or banks feel secure in giving you that funding or finance because they know you are a well-run entity, um, that you're making wise decisions uh, and that, you know, this is a project they can really back. So that's just a few thoughts. Um, Stephen, you might have some more as well. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, I think it, this, this is part of it is, the Jerry Maguire question, show me the money, where am I going to get the funding from? And, and banks is that sort of traditional, well, the bank will, I'll go to the bank. But unfortunately for, for many banks, they'll look more than twice before they will go with a, a project like this. So um, there are some other innovative solutions which are coming out. I'm totally conflicted and biased here, but I'm the chair of something called community finance. So community finance is a relatively new startup. We we began at the end of 2019, um, and it is basically matchmaking between a community housing providers and philanthropic or um, good-hearted investors. So uh, that's actually now raised more than $150 million for social housing. And the way that we've done that is connecting People like Simplicity, Pathfinder, Generate. So these are Kiwi Saver funds that actually care <laughs> about what happens to the funds instead of putting it in term deposits. And there's interest rates, which then go offshore to Australia. Um, they're investing it into projects through bonds. And then there will be specific projects. Like as an example, in Auckland, we help finance a $40 million project for the Salvation Army. And I think there was 108 houses that were built. So that's 108 families that are now living in homes that, you know, that that's a good outcome for society. So that's been going a couple of years. We're looking to really ramp that up in the future. So in the chat, I put a link. So you're welcome to check that out. Um, I'm involved at the board level, but James Palmer is the CEO. And um, yeah, we're quite, as Judith mentioned, we're always wanting to support and help people. Um, so you can check out some of the resources on that web page. Um, yeah, so just be thinking, and I guess the encouragement I'd have is there's this thing called impact investing. And impact investing is making a pitch to some wealthy people, usually, <laughs> since they've got the money. Hey, it, instead of putting that 1 million or 5 million or 10 million into a term deposit, earning a nominal interest rate, wouldn't you rather invest it you'll get return, you'll get income back, and you'll know that there's impact through families who now are able to live in homes. 
wouldn't you rather give back in that way? So that it may, if for some of you, you may have thought, well, we have to do it all with charity. We have to go and ask for donations. We have to get people to give us the money. But actually, there is a mindset shift happening where people are more willing to consider impact investing, not just financial return, impact through what they're funding. So I challenge you to think about that if you haven't. Uh, maybe think about your community. Think about where you're based. Are there people who would be interested in supporting what it is that you want to do? Um, so hopefully that has been helpful. Um, I think what we should do, Judith, is maybe we're getting towards the end of our time. Um, we might just look at the chat and see if there's anything that we can answer. And if there isn't, then we can look into it. Yeah. Um, we do have this community housing information hub and we're going to well i think we've already done it but we're going to have faqs so frequently asked questions where we can if you have a question we actually want to get them because we want to know what you're facing what you really want to know the answers to and then we can answer it and open source it so other people can find them as well so yeah, Judith, anything jump out at you? There's Yeah, yep. sure. So there's um a question from Puez Abdullah, um, just in relation to um chips. So the question is a charitable trust sets up a registered chip or company, uh, and that partly uses debt to acquire residential property as affordable rentals. Does income tax apply to the rent? And if so, are the interest payments deductible? So a couple of comments on this one. Um, firstly, we're not accountants. Um, so um and we would always be referring to the accountants in terms of specific tax advice. Um, but a couple of general comments on it. Um, one, um, if you're a charitable trust, so you're a registered charity, um, then you should have the income tax exemption. Uh, and therefore, if that's the entity that's uh, getting the rent rental income, uh, that, that should be exempt. So then that would mean your interest payments being deductible is, is not so relevant there. Um, if you're not a registered charity, um, the IRD have some guidance in terms of community housing providers and whether you might still be able to get some um, income tax exemptions. Um, a couple of comments on that. They only allow trusts or companies um, and they must not be for profit or personal gain. Um, so check your structure there. You must be providing housing. Um, and then they, they will um, have a look at what, what you're doing to see if you fit within that criteria and then you might be eligible for that income tax exemption which would also um, apply to that rent so that's just some general comments um, but happy to discuss further uh, if you've got more questions on that one yeah that's great uh, just having good, a look through good, here. good comments and actually on that point that you mentioned queenstown lakes they are registered via the way that you mentioned with IRD. Yeah. Um, so they're mm. not a charitable trust. They've they or yeah, they they've gone that way through the IRD um as a result of that mm. decision that I mentioned before. Um mm. Yeah. Um cool. there's another question here from Kerry Young. What about legal entities for not-for-profit property management company? So yeah, mm. this one um is interesting. Um I guess if you're purely providing property management, um potentially a company would be the right structure as opposed to thinking of um, charitable trust and things like that. Sometimes um, what we see, um, a couple of schemes that I'm working for clients on at the moment is um, in terms of sort of shared equity 
equity scheme. So you sort of slowly buy some more equity in your house and, and build up there. Uh, and there are separate entities that are um, involved in terms of um, managing the properties while they're still joint owners uh, in terms of um, sort of checking in um, to make sure that the, the annual maintenance is done and things like that. But also these entities sort of provide some wraparound services uh, in terms of um, financial advice, um, helping people to learn how to maintain a house, um, helping um, people with their budgeting um, and, and things like that. So when you've got more than just a normal, um, what we would say a normal property management company in terms of rentals and things like that, um, there could be other structures that are quite appropriate, including charitable trusts, depending on um, what you're doing there. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I think one of the themes that we want to get through is that there are options. There, There's lots mm. of different tools. I use the picture of go into the tool shed. Are you getting the hammer or are you getting the saw? Well, are you cutting off a tree branch or are you wanting to hammer in the nails? And it's the same with legal structures. I always think have the purpose and the impact that you want to have in the world front of mind and then choose the legal structure. Like that should be number one is we want to house this many people in our community. Therefore, we will choose a company structure or a trust structure or an LP structure, whatever can help you achieve your outcome and the purpose. So it's just a good lens to be thinking about. Um, in the chat, I'm just putting the link to the community housing information hub that I mentioned from our website. Um, so yeah, cool. Well, those are those have been really good questions. Um, I think some of the others are more comments for you, sir. It sounds like lots of people are liking your idea, so that's good to see. <laughs> um, Judith, is there anything else that you wanted to cover? Because we can just wrap it up if we're getting to the um, end. I actually just had one question for Sarah, if that's all right. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. So Sarah, obviously um, there's been a whole lot of thought that's gone into this project in terms of there's so many different elements um, to the project um, with obviously the housing and the community and then um, thinking commercial land and things like that moving forward. How did you go about coming up with these concepts? Was it a group of you that came together? Um, has it taken a long time to sort of plan these things out? Um, yeah, how have you got to where you are? Um, I mean, first, firstly, I would say we're very lucky to have a very visionary founder, um, Simone Woodland, who has been working on this project from the beginning. She came um, on an Edmund Hillary Foundation um, visa to from the UK to, to build a project like this. Um, and so she has very much had uh, a lot of that vision from the get-go. Um, and we've had different people that have contributed to that um, along the way, different fellows. And um, I think, yeah, it's been amazing just to have that visionary mind. Um, some, some of what we have done has just kind of been a natural fallout of the process. It was kind of like we didn't anticipate in the very beginning that we were going to have a charitable trust necessarily um we were looking at purpose at purpose trusts and and you know how to set up um something that was for purpose but we we didn't really see that um but it just sort of became clear that that was that was the outcome and so i think a lot of it has been as we've gone along um you know what's the need how do we service the need talk to the community um, we were we were pretty new to this region, so for us, it's been a process of settling in, getting to know the region, getting to know Takaka, um, and housing is a really big 
uh, it's a big issue. Rentals are in really short supply. And so we've tried the whole way along as well to kind of tackle the affordable housing um, and, and to a certain extent haven't succeeded yet. So we're really looking forward to how do we, how does the trust long-term provide affordable housing? And that's that's kind of been, you know, how do we be of service to the community and of service to the land and allow the land to have a voice in what we're what we're doing? Um, yeah, so, so does that answer your question? It's just kind of been a little bit of collaboration, definitely a lot of Simone's visionary work and, um, yeah, some some just very obvious you know oh we could we could do this that would work okay great <laughs> yeah no that's great thanks Sarah I think it's um it's really encouraging to to sort of hear how that process has happened um and see a project um in real life because yeah like Stephen says we can obviously um talk around structures and things like that but actually seeing a project and seeing um a need being met even though there's still work to be done uh, is just really encouraging um so yeah I'll pass back to you Stephen yeah, great. Thank you. Yes, it, 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 this is one that I'm really proud of, actually, with the Takaka, because I remember talking with Simone, it would have been 2018 or so. Um, I'm involved with Edmund Hillary Fellowship as well. So it's been a real cool collaborative thing where there's all these different influences and people with ideas um, coming together. So it's great to see. Now I just have to come and visit, like actually get there and, and come and see because uh, my kids are going to love visiting there. Um, cool. Well, I think what we're going to do is finish up. Thank you, everyone, for joining. We have a lot of free resources on our website, which is perryfield.com. I just put a bunch of them in the chat. I'll follow up with a recording of this session. If you found it helpful, then feel free to hit forward and send it on to somebody else. Um, I'll also include in the email out our community housing guide, which, again, it's it's there for anybody. We hope it's helpful. Um, one thing that I've been doing is a project uh, called Seeds Podcast. So I've interviewed 377 people now over the last seven years, um, almost one a week for seven years. And that's what you get. Um, so they go for usually an hour, sometimes longer. Um, the latest was with Tatipine O'Regan um, talking about his life, age 83, looking at who influenced him to become who and what he's done. So um, it's another resource that if you're driving anyway, why not hear a life story of an amazing person? So I put a link to that in the um, the chat. It's in Apple, Spotify, all those places. Um, but yeah, we're really happy to have conversations. If something has triggered for you, like, oh, I need to know more about this or that, um, feel free to reach out. You, you now have met Judith and I. <laughs> um, we are approachable. We really want to support this sector and and help it to grow. Um, so feel free to do that. For me personally, I have a little drive every day. I'm very happy to take quick phone calls and just have a chat about, you mentioned charities and should I be a company or a trust? Like, I've answered that a lot and I've actually done a 10 minute episode on it, but I'm happy to talk with you about your situation. So thanks everybody for joining. We hope that you have a great rest of your day and be watching your inbox for future events that we run um, and also for the video and additional information that we send. Thanks everyone. Goodbye.